Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Terms show, we have plate-licking pleb back on the show. That's his pseudonym, of course. He is here to talk about Bitcoin, his thoughts on Bitcoin. He is a 31-year-old. I hope he got his age right. I asked him, I think, twice. It was 31. He's a 31-year-old millennial. We're here to get his thoughts on investing, Bitcoin, real estate, real estate and Bitcoin. So we cover all these things. We also talk about the Canadian Bitcoin conference that is coming up in Montreal on May 16th, 17th, and 18th. If you're thinking about attending that, you can get a discount by using his code plate 2024. So the little code to get a discount for the Canadian Bitcoin conference, if you're thinking of attending on May 16th, 17th, and 18th in Montreal, the code for that is plate 2024. He also shares that at the end of the podcast, but that is the discount code if you're looking for that. And that's what we're ta talking on this episode. And if you're thinking about diving into the world of real estate and you want to surround yourself by a team of people who have been doing this in an organized fashion since 2008, but ourselves for much longer. You can check out what we're running here at Rockstar with the Rockstar Inner Circle membership by visiting rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash members. This is all about living your life on your terms and the different vehicles and strategies we're using to do it. And you can learn about the membership by visiting rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash members. That's it for the intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are back with Plate Licking Pleb. Plate. You know, we got great feedback. I think some people couldn't believe I called you Plate um, the whole time that uh, we chatted last time on the podcast. So welcome back. Thank you. And um, uh, we'll get you to explain the story behind the name of Plate Licking Pleb in one second. But you were just telling me you deadlift. Uh, you were deadlifting right before a fast. Yes. So two things. Why are you deadlifting and why the fast? <laughs> so when have you always yeah. been working out? Is yeah. Uh, okay. So first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm happy to be here. I love being here. Uh, cool. I loved seeing you know Tomer's book on the way in. You're right. Yeah. yeah right at the front. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Um, so thanks for having me. We're doing the best. We got a minor. You probably didn't see. There's a minor kind of hidden out in the open. Oh yeah. Out front. Oh yeah, wow. Yeah. yeah. We'll yeah. take another tour through the office. Yeah. We'll see if you pick. You'll pick it out now that I've said that for nice. sure. Yeah. Yeah. You had someone, uh, we had someone say that I would spit on them if uh, they bought anything other than <laughs> yeah. Bitcoin. So that's yeah. a little rude. I'm not that kind of rude. I don't know if I would go that far mm -hmm. for the record. Right. But yeah. This is a Bitcoin. You're, you're, you're in Bitcoin land over here. For sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so cool. Yeah. So basically, uh, deadlifting. No, I, I haven't been lifting weights long at all, actually. Like maybe... Uh, two or three years or something like that. I think it's actually Bitcoiners that got me into lifting weights. It was like found Bitcoin and then everyone there's lifting weights and saying, oh, you got to lift weights. And I'm like, fine. Okay, fine. Teach me how, teach me how. Uh, and then fasting too from Bitcoiners. Uh, but basically, um, big mistake. Don't, don't do heavy lifting right before a fast because you need protein to heal. 
Uh, so I did not heal. I just got the, the sore muscles that have lingered now like five days or something. I've, like I've learned that, that lesson so many times. And I don't know if you, you know, I'm lifting heavy or not, but I, for me, what would be heavy? And then if for whatever reason I get busy with life and family and kids and stuff and don't eat enough that day or the next day, mm-hmm. I'm hurting. My recovery's brutal. Mm-hmm. I'm tighter. I'm sore. Now I know after especially deadlifts, when you're in total nervous systems engaged, you're using a lot of big muscles, just eat good food. Mm-hmm. So for you mm-hmm. to go into a fast right now, <laughs> yeah. hey, that's one way to learn. Yeah. But how was the fast? What was it? Did you say 72 hours? No, I, I did 60. You're apparently supposed okay. to do 72. Okay. That's where like the real health benefits kick in. Okay. I wanted to just keep it to the weekend. I didn't want to uh, risk it with the work week, uh, you know, being all uh, hungry and everything like that. And how did, how did it feel? It was actually really, really easy for me. Uh, I don't know if it's because of my like really fat heavy diet that I do normal times. Um, I had some headaches. Um, I had some aches, but I think that was because of the deadlifts. Um, when did the headaches kick in? Almost right away. Actually, like maybe after like eight hours or something like that. Um, and then they went away. Um, so just water and some electrolytes or something. I had some electrolytes and then the first day I had, uh, like two bowls of, uh, bone broth. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then the headaches cleared up. Yeah. They just kind of went away. Yeah. And then the next part of the fast, then after that, you were good. Nothing, nothing to report. Just achy, just achy. But I think that was because of the deadlifts. Cause mm. I never heard anyone else mention okay. anything like that. So are you going to do this again? I'm going to try it again. Yeah. Like I don't really understand the health benefits. Apparently like kills old bad cells mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, I'm going to do it again just because it's a challenge. I'm going to do 72 next time. And then I heard of some people actually doing like five days mm-hmm. and seven days. <laughs> so uh, I want to try it. I don't know. It's a challenge. Yeah, I've never really done it. So it's interesting to me. There's a, someone in our office here just got some of their blood work back and their ferritin levels are really high, which is an inflammatory marker. And the naturopath that we work with was saying kind of like the modern man doesn't bleed, like you don't cut yourself anymore. There's Mm -hmm. not enough of that happening. So what happens is you you build up these ferritin levels through inflammation that you normally wouldn't have if you cut yourself a little bit because you would just kind of leak that out in your blood. I know that sounds crazy. So he was saying it's actually healthy for guys to give blood regularly. It just forces the regeneration of new blood cells Mm -hmm. and it kind of reduces some of that inflammation just naturally. Mm. So he's going to go do that. I did that on mine and we measured my blood work and I did have high ferritin levels which is just an inflammatory marker and uh they came right down Mm. so there's all these kind of like fasting this Mm. like base i would call it basic stuff that none of us have been exposed to that is probably pretty healthy for us right um so you know uh, i was gonna make a joke this is my way of saying you should cut yourself or something but no i'm not saying (laughs) maybe give blood give service to the community maybe giving blood just look into it keep it in mind (laughs) we're gonna make some rude joke yeah um and then, uh, the, how did you get into the lifting weights? Like did literally somebody, um, teach you how to deadlift? Cause I know when I started, I didn't get into lifting weights till I was 40 mm. and I didn't know how to deadlift at all. Mm-hmm. In fact, the first time I went to the gym, I think I put a 15 on each side of the bar mm-hmm. and I lifted it. And Nick, my brother works out six days a week and has since he was like 20 mm. and he was at the gym and I lifted this. They were trying to show me how to do a deadlift and my back seized up. Oh, so yeah. like that's 75 pounds. Yeah. It's for a lot, like it's laughable for, for, right. for anyone, I would say for 75 pounds. And Nick came by and I'm like, Nick, I don't think I can do anymore. Like my back is all like seized up. And he, and he looked at me and he goes, you don't say that to anyone. <laughs> he was so pissed, totally embarrassed that his brother's back was seizing up at 75 pounds. Now I made it all the way to the heaviest I've ever uh, done a deadlift. And I haven't gone back to like a one rep max in some time. 
was uh, four plates, so 405. Wow. I got to wow. 405. Yeah. Um, and I should maybe one day for kind of shits and giggles big back, build back up to it. But it's a process to get to like a one rep max. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, and I think I could go beyond that because it has been quite a few years. But uh, just getting there is kind of a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. It's discipline to work yourself up. Have you ever tested yourself that way? I've never done a, a one rep max, um, but I've tried to get really heavy. Um, and it's actually Joey who you've had on before who kind of gave me like, okay, do this on this day, do this on this day. And here's the, here's the idea of the, the, the theory. Um, one rep max, probably not even healthy to do. You don't even need to do it. That's just like this vanity thing to see what you can do. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, but it's interesting though. I, I've just never tried it. Uh, I've done, I've done six or four maybe of, uh, I think how I said it was two forty five. Yeah. Oh, cool. And you're, you're a big dude. You can move, you can move some weight. If you start doing that, you can hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. Okay. So I wanted to uh, pick your brain a little bit about just Bitcoin in general. Mm -hmm. Um, what, where do you think we're at? And, uh, what's your latest thoughts on just Bitcoin, the Bitcoin world right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right now is obviously an, an interesting time, right? This is the first time that Bitcoin has seen, you know, high interest rates or higher interest rates, normal interest rates, uh, you know, kind of coming around right at the start of ZERP, zero, zero interest rate policy, um, and obviously thriving in its first, you know, 10, 12, 13 years. We're 15 years in as of, you know, two weeks ago. Um, and it's the first kind of challenge. and. Last year, interest rates kind of went up all year, 2022, interest rates raising. Um, Bitcoin was up, what, I think 150, 160% or, or something uh, in 2023. So I think it's kind of proving itself that, I don't know how much the outside economy is going to affect Bitcoin moving forward, right? Um, I don't like to make short-term predictions because anybody can be wrong and anybody can be right. And that's the same with real estate or stocks or anything, right? Um, but what I think is the real drivers of Bitcoin is there is an army of zealots who mm -hmm. are buying every time they get paid and every time they, uh, you know, get a paycheck, or every time they sell a chair or sell something, uh, they're forcing it into Bitcoin and they don't care what the price is because they all know uh, that the price is going higher. Right. So there's that. And that's the one side, the demand side. And then the supply side, as uh, a lot of your listeners might know, um, gets cut in half every four years, right? And that's coming up, I think, in, in March or something like that, right? So right now, uh, there's 12 and a half, or is it 6.25 Bitcoins that are that are mined every 10 minutes, right? Um, that's gonna get cut in half, right? And the same amount of people are still buying, putting all their economic energy into this thing uh, every two weeks or every week, every time they get paid. Um, but then all of a sudden, the new supply gets cut in half, right? And nobody sells it, right? It's, it's a bunch of religious, zealots who believe in the thing believe it's going to be better for the world right so i think it i think the economy affects it and you know global liquidity and interest rates and things like that um but i think the price is going up no matter what right regardless of what happens in the world so for your generation do you feel like is this something that has to prove itself right i don't even know what metric any of us would use to prove it's it's almost like bitcoin already has proven itself right by just existing 15 years later so I don't really know the metric we would use to justify what I'm, you know, what I'm about to say as being correct. But for Bitcoin, Bitcoin to win or prove itself right, what would have to happen for your generation? Because right now, young people your age with families looking at Bitcoin as something that is, you know, 
anti-establishment, outside the norm, against fiat, however you want to describe it, that's kind of your belief. Um, what would have to happen for you to feel satisfied that this was the right move for you? Anything? Just that the price keeps going up? Like, what, what, how do you look at this? Like 10 years from now, mm -hmm. how old did you say you were? 32? 31. 31. When you're 41, mm -hmm. so 10 years from now, what, what do you think will have to have happened for you to look back and say, huh, you know what? That really worked out well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is there something? Have you thought about that at all? Uh, I, I don't think I've put a lot of thought into that, but, but when I think about it now, it's like, okay, 10 years from now, I'd be satisfied knowing that, you know, Bitcoin has continued to grow in adoption, right? Um, I'd want the price performance, you know, to outpace stocks, to outpace real estate, mm, because then I okay. know, okay, at least I did the right thing there. I, I wouldn't have been better off buying the SMP or just, you know, sticking with a rental property or something like that. Um, so as long as it, it can do that, then to me, it's like, okay, I made the right decision. As far as like, what would people my age, millennials have to see to, you know, now believe in, in Bitcoin, it's going to be different for everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think, I think price adoption is, or price uh, increase is, is a big one for everybody. Um, and then I think a lot of people my age, they get into it just because they're priced out of everything else. Mm. Right. They can, they can yeah. make, you know, whatever eight, 9% per year in the S and P on average over the long run. Um, they can, maybe save up with a buddy or with a brother or sister and then hopefully buy a, a rental property or you know get a co-signer with their parents or something like that but a lot of people just can't save that amount of money after yeah. they're done paying off school you know things like that um so i think a lot of people my age and, and younger growing up in their 20s and things like that will turn to, to bitcoin for that reason right because they're willing to say okay well you know what? Let's take a little bit of risk. Let's let's buy this thing. Let's see what happens. I can put a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, five thousand dollars. I don't need a million dollars and you know an okay from a bank mm -hmm. to be able to invest in this thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened with me basically in, in uh, like late late twenty twenty, um, sitting at home, you know, lockdown, and it's okay. Uh, uh, the the app that I use for for buying stocks on my phone suddenly offers Bitcoin now. And then, so I thought, okay, well, I'll put a hundred bucks in there. You know, I had, I had, uh, what timing, Bitcoin. what timing? Yeah. It was, uh, it was, yeah. October of 2020. Um, and then it started to go up. And so I think the same thing will happen with other people my age, right? They'll say, okay, well, let's put a hundred bucks, right? The ETF is available now in the States. Lots of ETFs in Canada are available. People say, okay, well, let's try it. Then when the price goes up, then they say, okay, that's interesting. Why is the price going up? Maybe I should learn about this thing a little bit. And so that's kind of the top of the sales funnel is the NGU, the number go up technology. It, that's the initial marketing that Bitcoin has. Uh, and then people fall deeper into the rabbit hole and say, okay, wow, this is actually protecting me from inflation. You know, this is actually money that nobody can take away from me through force, through threat, through inflation, through anything, through taxes, right? Um, maybe I should learn how to self-custody it and, uh, you know, keep it a secret and hold it close to my chest. Hey everyone, it's Tom Kratz. I'm interrupting the podcast. Yes, I am. I'll be really quick and I'll explain why. Over the last few years may have heard us talk about three buckets in your financial li life. You need an access to one bucket, which is short-term liquid cash to just pay your mortgage, pay your rent, buy groceries for emergencies, that kind of thing. Another bucket would be creating hard assets in your life that are also income producing. Everybody we believe needs at least a second stream of income or the ability to accumulate enough hard assets to really produce an income stream that's meaningful in your life. To us, that has 
has been real estate. It's why we run the Rockstar Inner Circle membership. It's why we have over 20 classes as that membership. And we're trying to get an information advantage on real estate investing, how to do it properly and safely and reduce the risk as much as possible. Not that you can ever reduce it to zero, but with information, we can kind of mitigate our risk in real estate as much as humanly possible. And there's this third bucket, which is your long-term savings. And we never, never really had a good plan for that. We looked at gold for a little while. Obviously, if you've been listening to this, you know Bitcoin has become a big thing for us with that particular bucket in your long-term savings. So if you're fortunate enough to be able to accumulate some long-term savings and you want a place to put it, we highly recommend you dive into Bitcoin. It's why we're doing episodes like the one that you're listening to right now. And if you want a resource in Canada on where to buy Bitcoin, because that's why we're asked, that's sorry, that is what we are asked quite often. We currently really like bull Bitcoin. We like the guys there. They're Bitcoin only. They are all about education. They will walk your hand and educate you through this process if you've never bought Bitcoin before. And if you use the URL rockstarbtc.ca, you will get $20 of free Bitcoin when you fund your account. So that's rockstarbtc.ca. If you go through that URL to get to bull Bitcoin, they have done that as an offer to you, one of the listeners of the Your Life, Your Terms show. So that's what we wanted to extend out to you. And if you're looking for a place to buy Bitcoin, we couldn't recommend them highly enough. And you know, we don't do this. So you know, we're strong believers in bull Bitcoin because we rarely talk about anyone on this particular show of any sort. So bull Bitcoin is our current favorite. You can visit them by going to rockstarbtc.ca, set up an account. And when you fund that account, you'll get a free $20 in Bitcoin. Let's get back to the show. You brought up rental properties. So what's your thinking at your age of real estate? Because basically the reason, I guess the reason Rockstar exists is I was buying rental properties in my 20s. It started with student rentals Mm -hmm. because somebody was going to Mac, a good friend of mine, and we did some math. He actually told me about the amount of rent that they were paying. I didn't go to Mac. I went to U of T. He was telling me at Mac, here's how much he was paying per room. And, you know, we started doing some quick math and we're like, oh my gosh, like who owns this property? Like this seems like a pretty good thing. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Nick read some books. Uh, I think we both read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I don't know if that still Mm -hmm. was around or not. Mm -hmm. And uh, Nick and I bought a student rental. Actually, I'd already flipped a property before then. First long-term hold was a student rental. And uh, we, uh, we bought this kind of student rental property and then we bought it for what I would call like kind of its utility value. Like, hey, how much revenue does this thing bring in? Like, what are the expenses on this thing? Like, okay, in and of itself, this just looks like an operating business that I can analyze and see if the numbers work. Mm -hmm. But then I kind of quickly came to understand how the monetary system works and that hard assets like real estate get this monetization effect Mm -hmm. as government's deficits spend and as new money is created in the economy, I would refer to it as new M2, but new money is being created in the economy, there are scarcer things like real estate, not as scarce things like Canadian dollars. So what happens is it takes more and more of the not scarce things, the Canadian dollars, to buy the real estate. Everybody thinks the real estate's going up in price. Really it's not, it's the dollars losing value. Mm-hmm. But when you marry that also with leverage, mm-hmm. the return on a rental property has been like kind of mind blowing over the last, you know, 10 and 20 years. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that in the residential rental space came from the monetization of just hard assets. Mm-hmm. 
And I and and unlike commercial real estate, which is really tied to a cap rate, even multi-unit residential is tied to cap rates closer than smaller rental properties. Mm-hmm. Those cap rates will dictate the value of the property. But in residential real estate investing, the price of the property isn't really tied to the capitalization rate, which is dependent on the gross income and kind of the operating expenses of that property. It's tied to just the greater general residential real estate market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So even if the rents, the income on the property aren't changing, which would be highly important in the commercial space or multi-unit space, mm-hmm. on a smaller residential property, the rents can stay flat, but the value of the underlying asset, the single family home itself, mm-hmm can go up in price because it's just trending with the residential market. Mm -hmm. So we Mm -hmm. came to understand that these things are rather beautiful because we got all these benefits. And then we came to understand Bitcoin many years later. Mm -hmm. And we were like, for me, it was 2020. I was spring 2020, like right at the pandemic. Yeah, I was like kind of, it was like the Bitcoin standard, you know, going down the the similar story to to all of us kind of thing. And that was the realization I had like, oh my gosh, like if real estate is benefiting from scarcity, Mm-hmm. and the value of it's going up. And with leverage, I'm really benefiting from this. And it's wrong. Like, I don't even agree that we're pricing properties out this way, but this was one way for me to understand what's going on in the financial system and to kind of stay ahead of that trend and protect some of my purchasing power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, if real estate's scarce, now I've kind of understand that one of the characteristics of Bitcoin, which I had not understood, was its ultimate scarcity. Right, yeah. Yeah. And then, then I had that moment where I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Now I have to question everything I've just looked at because <laughs> if, you know, what happens to real estate going forward and it'll still have a value, like there's always going to be a need for rental properties, mm-hmm. but the lift that it's had, mm-hmm. I wonder where that gets sucked over to Bitcoin at what pace, how does that happen? What are your thoughts on everything I just shared there? Do you think, yeah. Bitcoin, like what's the process of Bitcoin sucking some of the monetization of real estate? Is it a slow thing? Uh, happens overnight, happens in stages? How do you mm-hmm. look at that? Mm-hmm. Or do you, do you think about that? Yeah, it's always tough predicting the future and, and how these things will play out. I and know, but Plate, we need you to, man. You're here to predict <laughs> yeah, the future. Yeah. We need your help, man. Yeah. I guess just to get You're the plate licking pleb, man. We need your help. <laughs> plate licking fortune teller. Uh, I guess just to give you the, the context. So uh, I love real estate. Uh, I, I have always loved real estate. Uh, my dad used to take me and we'd just go to, to uh, open houses just as a kid, just for fun, without any intention to buy houses. Um, at, growing up, we lived in a, in like a wartime bungalow and, uh, always my parents, uh, rented out the basement. Um, so we were on, on the upper floor, rented out the basement. So I kind of knew, okay, you can, you can make money and help with your mortgage just by renting it out. Right. Um, when I was 19, uh, basically I moved out of my dad's house and he said, okay, you, you can go live in the rental now. And you know what, you stay in one room and you can rent out the rest of the rooms and you know, that, that's where you can live. Uh, you pay me 2,500 bucks, you make it work somehow. Uh, so doing that, I kind of just realized, okay, real estate's a, a thing, rental real estate. And so at that time I said, okay, um, I'm going to need to retire someday. How am I going to learn to invest and build something for myself so that I can stop working one day? Um, and for me at that time, it was, okay, rental real estate. I'll save up and I'll start accumulating rental properties, okay? Um, so that's me, 19, so that's 12 years ago, uh, so 2012. At that time, uh, where I live, a duplex, uh, legal duplex, uh, is about 230000 So I thought, okay, great, 5% down payment. I can save up uh, $12,500 plus some closing costs. Uh, great, I'll get a rental. I should be able to get a rental in two years. 
Okay, uh, in two years, the same property is worth 350, right? And I said, okay, another two years, fine, I'll just save up a little more. Right now we're, wow. now we're 2016. Now it's like, okay, now it's, you know, 600,000 oh for, for a duplex. Um, so this goal of mine kept on getting pushed out further and further. Um, I think there's a lot of, a lot of young people who are realizing, um, my goal is getting pushed out further and further, <laughs> right? I need, I need an alternative, right? Uh, so for me, I ended up finally saving up. There's a, uh, a little bit of a dip in, in real estate prices during the beginning of COVID. Um, that's when my wife and I, we bought our, our duplex. We lived in the basement, rented out the upstairs. Um, and basically it's the same thing is, is we're realizing, okay, um, the government, people who want to be in government, they want to win votes, right? And you win votes with, uh, easy monetary policy, right? So the, you know, the bank of Canada and the government is supposed to be separate. How separate is it really? I don't know. Um, I don't think very separate to be honest. Um, but basically, they're incentivizing people to store their value in something that's, that's going to go up in value, right? And I think the most obvious thing is what you look around and you see what's going up in value, right? 2017, 2021, all anybody talked about was, oh, yeah, that house went for $100,000 over asking. Totally. That one. Yes. Right? So that drives yeah. it more. It's that like a self-reinforcing yeah. uh, flywheel or pinwheel or whatever you call that. Um, so I think a lot of people see that and then they want to buy real estate more. So I don't mm. think Bitcoin is demonetizing real estate anytime soon. I think as long as central banking exists, as long as we have, uh, put our faith into politicians who are doing what they can to keep, uh, the average Canadian homeowner happy and mm -hmm. voting for them, um, there's going to be policies that will increase demand and increase the value of real estate. Um, I, I think Bitcoin will demonetize real estate over time, um, but that's only as everyone who's capable of buying rental properties decides to buy real estate mm -hmm. instead, mm -hmm. right? So I think it's going to be going to be Take gradual, right? Um, things can happen fast, right? If if uh, hyperinflation can go from where we are now to you know sure. total hyperinflation in in ten years, mm -hmm. if uh, politicians and central banks make the wrong decisions, um, so it could happen fast. Tough so maybe say. it's a transition kind of like landlines, like everyone, I mean, maybe you're not even old enough to like remember this, but uh, you know, the landline situation at home when everyone had like the bell phone number. Mm -hmm. And then when voice over, when the internet kind of got going, Skype came out, voice over IP got, you know, more prevalent and then cell phones came out and then data on cell phones became more prevalent. And then everyone started looking at their landlines thinking, oh my gosh, like I don't need this landline anymore because this other thing is just beginning, getting to be easier and easier to use. Even though voice over IP existed for a long time, it took, you know, maybe I would say a 15 year window from like the late nineties to, you know, 2012, 2013, 14, 15, kind of that era. Mm -hmm for landline usage really to kind of drop. And the last drop might've been the biggest part of it. Like it was kind of like a slow decline of people letting go. Like I would talk to all my friends and they're like, oh yeah, I got rid of my um, landline. I just mm -hmm. have cell phones now. And at first that was like, oh, like that's really, mm -hmm. you know, you can do that. And I feel like that's what we're at the stage with Bitcoin. Right. Like, oh, I'm using Bitcoin to save mm -hmm. or to invest or to protect my purchasing power, however you want to describe it for you. And people right now are like, oh, 
really? Mm -hmm. And then in a couple more years, it's like, oh, so-and-so is doing that. And -and so-and-so is doing that. They also got rid of their landline. Mm -hmm. And it gets Mm -hmm. a little easier because there's like three or four more options. Right. It just became easier. And then by the end, it's like the iPhone is out and like the Mm -hmm. internet, you're getting like Bell 5 at home and everything's so fast. And Mm -hmm. like, if you have a landline now at home, it's like, oh, Really? You have a land, like we've gone full circle. We've gone right. from like, oh, like you're, you don't, mm-hmm. to oh, you do? Yeah. <laughs> and if it was a 15 year window, mm-hmm. and the internet existed before the late 90s, so if we take a 15 year window um, of where Bitcoin maybe starts getting easier to use, and maybe that's the pandemic when like mainstream comes in, like I don't know if maybe mm-hmm. it was 2017, maybe it's the pandemic, maybe it's now, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But maybe we're in that era now where like you and you and I, and maybe some others are using Bitcoin as a savings vehicle, a way to protect purchasing power. We know it's also much more than just that. Mm-hmm. And we're the people that it's people react to like, oh, you're, you're doing yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. And then a few more years, it's like a few more people and 15 years from like, if it's 2020, so it's by 2035, it's like, if you're not using Bitcoin to protect some of your purchasing power, you're the odd person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes yeah. I think it's kind of like that transition. Right, right. And you're then at the end of that, I guess I'm just super curious around the monetization of real estate as Bitcoin transitions into holding a bigger uh, part of everybody's savings what that looks like. And maybe it's just that the uplift in it doesn't keep the same trend rate because since 2010 to now, real estate's really benefited from like a rip roaring trend rate of appreciation because of the amount of dollars that have printed. And maybe just that rate of appreciation in the price continues to go, go up to your point with government policies trying to keep everybody happy, but maybe the rate of change or the rate of increase in the monetization of it is a little dampened because of it. Time will tell. It's going to be an, it's to me, it's just like a fascinating thing to watch unfold. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it's why anyone who's a property investor has to be super careful on their cash flow and the income and the expensive expenses. We've always believed in that, Mm -hmm. that like you better be pretty, you know, pretty confident in what your income and expenses are on these properties and how sustainable that is. Mm -hmm. Because if you're just depending on the appreciation of an asset, that to to me, uh, like, especially with real estate, when you're taking on debt to acquire it, is really risky. It would be like buying Bitcoin on leverage. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of the one of the really good things about real estate, and you, you mentioned it's just the, the leverage, right? Just the fact that you can get twenty x leverage, right? Uh, uh, and then you, it's, if the value of real estate goes down, the bank isn't really coming to you and saying, "Hey, the value yeah, of real estate is down." Market. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're going to take that back from you now. So it it almost can provide Bitcoin like returns. Mm-hmm. Uh, with cash flow, right? Because mm-hmm. you could kind of pay for the leverage with with the rent. Um, but you're right. There's there's a different element of of risk, right? The volatility isn't there with real estate. But now the risk is okay. Uh, what if you have a tenant that doesn't pay, right? Or what if uh, what property if taxes like, go up? Yeah, property taxes or or like for me, what if uh, yeah. what the foundation leaks, right? We we had dug up our driveway, uh, paid seventeen thousand dollars to dig up the oh, driveway, man. fix the foundation, uh, and then two weeks later water again, but it's from the other side of the house. <laughs> so, I forgot that. And this is after yeah. three years that we owned the place. We had three years, totally uneventful, rent paid on time and everything, And but then that, right? So it's like, uh, there are different risks with real estate as well, right? So it's, you gotta, you know, evaluate your life and your cash flow and your needs. Um, and I think we're entering an era of government 
authoritarianism in the West, where if you self-custody Bitcoin, it offers a different advantage to you than your property. Like I've always liked real estate because you're putting it in your own name. Mm-hmm. So I control the income because it comes to me. It doesn't go through a bank and then to me. Well, I know it goes into like a checking account or whatever. I just mean the rent is payable directly to me. Mm-hmm. The property is owned in my name. Mm-hmm. So I get first chance at controlling this asset. Mm-hmm. And I like that about real estate versus some other financial products where I always felt like it was a bit at an arm's length. Like I couldn't, I, I owned it, but it's like, do I really, like how do I control it? Mm-hmm. So with real estate, I actually liked that about it, even though there's definitely the maintenance and tenant stuff that you def, you, ha, you have to take care of. But Bitcoin offers an interesting advantage in that it's a you know highly scarce asset that I can custody myself and is completely mobile globally. Mm-hmm. And I think with the way the world is right now, there's a certain comfort to owning an asset like that. Mm-hmm. And, and liquid too, I think is, is the other thing, right? Because, uh, you know, I think, I think in my area, I think real estate prices are down maybe like 30% from where they were at their peak of like February. What was the peak? February, 2022, I think. Yeah, about right. Yeah, yeah. around there. Um, so I think in my area, they're down about 30%, right? Um, so if you want to sell your house, even if it's going to be, you're going to take a 30% loss from that previous high watermark, um, it might take you a little while, right? Mm-hmm. It might take, you know, two weeks on market. I think average is just like 40 days on market in my area or something like that right now. Um, so that that can be for some people uh, prohibitive. Some people would prefer Bitcoin because even if you can get an eighty percent loss on your Bitcoin, you can sell it at market value in ten seconds, mm-hmm. no matter what, because it's a global demand, right? I know some people who took an eighty percent loss, or maybe not an 80, oh, no. 60 and sold it. And you're right, it was pretty liquid. It was easy for them to sell. I think they're regretting it. I just had a conversation oh, no. today about this regret. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, sorry. Go on, go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're 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 absolutely right. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's just also one one of the things that's that's different and why some people might want to store some or all of their value in uh, in something like Bitcoin is because, yes, you can take it across the country, you can take it across the world uh, instantly just by memorizing the 12 words in your head. Um, but then if you need to sell it or if you need need to to uh, liquidate, you, you can instantly, uh, which is not quite the case with, with real estate. And then obviously there's some friction with real estate too. Um, don't get me wrong. Uh, People say there's no second best, right? It's Bitcoin. There's no second best. I disagree. I think there is a second best, and it's leverage rental real estate. Yeah. Um, but there, there's definitely pros and cons to each. Right? I feel like you're being nice to me right now, Play. You can say whatever you want about real estate. <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to hold back. But you're right. Yeah. It has, and I'm not going to deny it. It is the vehicle that when I left the corporate world, I'm like, oh my gosh, like there's only this. Like mm-hmm. to me, that was my Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Right when I left, I was like, there was no Bitcoin mm-hmm. at that time when we started this business. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am agreeing with you a hundred percent. It just, um, it, I feel like we're just like watching history unfold in the most marvelous way right now with this opportunity opportunity that's in front of us. And when I, I didn't play the clip, but Jamie Dimon today was at Davos and he was talking about, you didn't hear the clip. No, right? no, no. You didn't hear, uh, yeah. if, if uh, maybe I can even pull it up. But um, on this clip, he basically says, 
don't talk to me about Bitcoin anymore. I think uh, on CNBC, I don't want to, uh, I never want to talk about Bitcoin again. <laughs> and uh, there are other things like blockchain technology that are super valuable and smart contracts sure. that you could sure. do on sure. this. Yeah. And things like, I think he even talked, maybe he mentioned stable coins or something, mm -hmm. maybe. And then, uh, but there's something else like a pet rock, you know, Bitcoin, and it does nothing right. and it's useless. Right. Now, Jamie Dimon is not a silly guy. So for me, to see, hear him say that about Bitcoin is pure fear, a little bit of arrogance mm -hmm. and fear. Yeah. Because this is, yeah. this is not here. I'm going to try and play this little cl clip. This part, this one I found is 22 seconds. Let's hear what it says. I'll try to put it in the mic. Supply. So it's Bitcoin. And it's been used. Uh, so you think so, huh? I do. I think there's a good chance that when Bitcoin, when we get so to that 20 million Bitcoins, million, go to that, 42. No, that Satoshi's going to come on there, laugh hysterically. Go quiet, all Bitcoins will be erased. I think, man. How the hell you <laughs> stop at 21? I've, I've never met one person who told me they know for a fact they take yeah, that. Mathematically, it's, it, it, it's not, it how's, can't happen because. Yeah, yeah, okay, that was a different clip. But do you hear the style? He's like, yeah. he's talking about, yeah. first of all, he can't pronounce Satoshi properly. <laughs> and he thinks he's going to come back. And what he's yeah. like, I feel like that's part of why I love Bitcoin so much that the establishment is all shook mm -hmm. about this. Yeah, I think we just have to touch on, on that just for your, your listeners uh, who maybe don't know the details of Bitcoin. Thank you. Uh, Satoshi, Satoshi, uh, <laughs> if he comes back, sure, sure. Bitcoin was created anonymously, right, or pseudonymously. Um, and basically, the code was presented to the world. Uh, people liked it, happened to use it, uh, but then it was abandoned, right? So there is no leader of Bitcoin, right? They're, they're, they're gone. Satoshi's gone. Nobody knows who he is. Um, Sure, he could come back, okay, but he has no control over Bitcoin. And the reason we know this is because Bitcoin is open source. That means anybody can look at the code of Bitcoin and they can see exactly how it operates, right? Um, and they can know that, okay, I can see the code. There's no back door. The creator of it doesn't have some special key that they can go in and erase Bitcoin. That's not a thing, right? What happens is everybody who chooses to can take that open source code, they can download it onto their own computer. And you don't need a special computer, by the way, this is a big misconception. You can use that laptop and download mm -hmm. uh, a, a Bitcoin Core node. Oh, you got a, a node there. So you don't even need that. You can use a normal laptop. Like I use, I use an old laptop at my house. Um, and basically you download Bitcoin, Bitcoin cores is the name of the code. Um, and what that means is in order to destroy Bitcoin or erase it, every single node has to be destroyed. Right. Uh, there are, I think, somewhere between like 10 and 15,000 of these nodes all around the world. Right. Some of them you can locate. Some of them people run it through Tor, which is, an, is, a, is a, like an onion router. So you, it's kind of like makes it anonymous. No one can find your node because it's so de decentralized. You can't destroy Bitcoin. Be, uh, I was arguing with a friend kind of uh, today a little bit by text. He said, oh, Bitcoin could go to zero. I said, well, not not really, right? Because uh, you have to destroy every single node. You can't find all the nodes, right? So how are you going to destroy them all? Even if one survives, if, if there's an atomic blast that destroys all of modern civilization, all you need is one laptop. Even if that laptop is turned off for the next two decades, when you turn it back on, Bitcoin's there again, right? And then all you need is one other person to, to copy the code, run it on their computer. Now you got a network effect starting again, right? So... Um, it, it can't be erased. It can't go away. That it's the most resilient thing there is because it's, uh, I've heard people des describe it as, uh, as a hydra. You cut, cut one head off and then two more will grow, right? Um, 
you, you can't destroy every node, so therefore you can't destroy Bitcoin. So what he's saying is completely ignorant. I don't know if he's lying because he, uh, you know, he wants to defend his legacy finance uh, system that he's right near the top of. Um, or I don't know if he just really hasn't done the research and he has no clue what he's talking about. Yeah, he might intentionally not want to do the research because he's heard enough smart people around him maybe say how important or how great it is. And maybe he doesn't even want to look because once he looks, maybe he's going to be scared of what he finds. You know, <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. I think he might be taking that approach just by the way he's speaking. And, I, you know, it's interesting when I hear you describing this, it's all about the technology. Um, and Lynn Alden actually does um, oh, her book somewhere else in the office, but in her book, Broken Money, she does a great job about explaining how technology has shaped what we use as money and how money is basically a ledger and there's nature's ledger, or you can use a ledger kind of controlled by people. Um, and then that example of a gold coin is that like, that was actually a technology revolution in money because if a king queen stamped a coin with their logo on it it was the actual stamping of that and that technology that allowed them to stamp into the gold that gave people confidence that if they saw a coin with that stamp on it that it represented this much buying power mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it was actually like a improvement in technology that allowed people to get a bit of gold, make it into a coin, mm -hmm. maybe put ridges around it. So that if anyone shaved off it, you'd yeah. notice the ridges are gone, mm -hmm. put the stamp on it. Yeah. And it was a technology improvement mm -hmm. in a gold nugget, let's say that allowed it to really be flourish. It allowed it to flourish as money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what really helped gold become money. It was the, the technology improvements around it. And it was also a, like the most saleable thing across space, time and scales and it kind of had the characteristics of money, but it was this technology improvement that really helped it. And I feel now a lot of the technology improvements around money have happened in a way that aren't so obvious to people mm -hmm. because Bitcoin's not something you're going to touch and feel like a gold coin mm -hmm. so that you don't see the technology improvements. But what you just described with the decentralization and, you know, 10 to 15,000 nodes running all around the world, this is an improvement in technology of money. Mm -hmm. totally. And it's kind of people don't associate with money with technology improvements or technological improvements. Mm -hmm. And I think it kind of baffles them a little bit because yeah. especially if you're your age, my age, even we've grown up in the era of strong central banking. Mm -hmm. So you've oh, yeah. never really had these thoughts of like, yeah. what makes this money? Mm -hmm. What is money? Yeah. We've really grown up in a world of fiat from the time we were born. Oh yeah. But almost if you were born one generation earlier, like my wife's father was older when he had uh, Carol, he grew up in the Great Depression. Mm. He understood gold in a way that kind of the modern person doesn't understand gold. Mm -hmm. And I wonder going forward if like your kids, Mike, you know, like the next generation, they're going to grow up with Bitcoin already exists mm -hmm. and they're going to understand money at this deeper level. And I feel like there's this middle hundred years mm -hmm. where these people, meaning like people your age and my age, just weren't exposed to this. Right. Yeah. But younger people will be, mm -hmm. and they'll be taught like all these benefits of Bitcoin and the technology, the, the technological reasons why it's like superior form of money. Mm -hmm. And people a hundred years ago understood why like a, a South African cougaran or a, a maple, a gold maple leaf or a gold eagle from the U.S. was a good form of money because mm -hmm. it was like that stamp of the eagle, mm -hmm. right? Proved yeah. it was a good coin. The cougaran was a good coin. Mm -hmm. Canadian maple leaf a good coin. And there's this like gap in the middle where it's like nobody really had a clue what the heck was good money. Yeah, and that's us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think there's a 
big reason why they don't teach about money in school, right? <laughs> yeah. Because if people understood this stuff, you know, Bitcoin would be at a million dollars already, right? Mm-hmm. Because they would know, okay, uh, money is money because it satisfies the six properties of money because it's, you know, divisible, fungible, uh, transportable, uh, whatever they are, all, all six of them. Yeah, I was going to say, holy shit, you're going to list Google them all off. Yeah, yeah. I should have memorized them <laughs> for this. Uh, but what happens when people don't understand that, it's human nature to not want to get ripped off, right? So people realize, holy shit, everything's getting more expensive every single year. I got to do something, right? So people know, okay, I'm not putting money in my mattress because that's just losing value, right? I'm not leaving it in a savings account because that's just losing value. So that's that's why real estate got monetized in the first place is people mm-hmm. are, even though they don't have to understand the six properties of money, right? And how the different technologies satisfy that. Yeah, they just looked around. They know they don't want to get ripped off, right? And they know that they see their neighbor who just made you know a bunch of money on their, on their rental property. Um, so that's what monetizes other things because I need to preserve my money. Where can I put my money in something that will preserve it a little better? And then, so I think that's where a real estate came in in a large way in Canada. So it's just that education where people realize, okay, sure, that's an, an investment and, you know, almost like a part-time job, depending on your, on your renters, I guess. Uh, but, but then they see, okay, if Bitcoin is perfect money because it satisfies those properties because it can be uh, transportable and, and, you know, liquid and, and things like that. Um, that's where things change. So I think it's, that is maybe an education thing. Um, but eventually, I think it will happen naturally because people will see that's where I'm not going to get ripped off is with the Bitcoin. Yeah. Just, <laughs> so it comes back again to number go up. Yeah. It goes up in fiat yeah. terms and people then just pay attention to it. Um, how did you start to get involved in the Canadian Bitcoin conference? Because like the first one was last year. Is this just been like a labor of love for you? You just saw this happening. You raised your hand. You're like, hey, I want to help out with this thing. Like what takes you? Because, you know, you haven't been in the Bitcoin world that long. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden now you're helping with the Canadian Bitcoin conference. Mm-hmm. It's happening again. I don't know. I'll pull up the dates, actually. So we have them unless you know them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's May 16th to 18th, 2024. Uh, it's going to be in, in Montreal this year. Last year was Toronto. This year, Montreal. Uh, we're going to try that out for a year. But ba- basically what happened is um, uh, Twitter is a magical place, right? Uh, so I found out about Bitcoin, didn't know any other Bitcoiners. None of my friends had any. None of my friends knew anything. I had nobody to talk about it with. My wife was... That's a dark put Your wife was in a poor spot right there. Yeah, she just she had to listen pissed. to you. She was pissed, yeah. Because uh, uh, when you first find something new and exciting, you want to talk about it a lot, right? You want to read about it. You want to learn about it, right? Uh, so... Twitter was kind of this this outlet, right? Um, and then so I kind of one day decided, like, you know what? That's it. I want to meet some Bitcoiners in real life. I'm hosting an event. Um, so I just said, okay, here's the date. And I just put it out into the ether, the Twitter ether. Um, and people responded. And it ended up being like a, like a hit of a meetup. You know, awesome. there was like 40, 50 people there went down in Hamilton to the Tahini's. Um, oh, cool. That was you who organized. I remember when you guys did that. That was you who organized. <laughs> that was that? me. That oh, was me. awesome. Um, and at the time, I didn't. I think tell I was anybody. pissed that I couldn't go there. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah. So concerned about my identity, right? I have my fake name, uh, plate looking pleb. At that time, I didn't even have that. So I was there, but I didn't tell anybody I was the one who had started it or anything like that. Uh, but then I had a second meetup, and the organizers of the conference. For them, it was just an idea at that point. It's, uh, so it's Dan and Manuela Carlin. Uh, basically, it's a husband and wife team. Uh, husband is a Bitcoiner, wife is an event planner. And they said, you know what? This is, this is an opportunity. Bitcoin is growing big time. There's a huge conference in the States, in Miami, in the Bitcoin conference there. Um, 
there's not not really one in Canada no. right now. And Nick and I were looking around like, who's going to be the one? Who's starting it? You yeah. Know? <laughs> so that was that. And they saw the idea and wanted to capitalize on it. Um, they approached me, I think, just because I was kind of a little bit more in the Bitcoin culture in Canada with having met a lot of people through meetups and things. Um, and I happened to have some connections with a couple of uh, great Bitcoiners that you know, like Greg Foss and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, so they just asked me, they just said like, hey, do you want to help us do this thing? Um, and so at first it was kind of just like um, almost like a cultural advisor because Bitcoin has a unique culture, right? There's, uh, you know, it, you, it can you, be shocking. At yeah, you, you eat only beef and eggs, right? You got to lift weights. You deadlifts. Yeah, you got to go outside naked in the sun. Yeah, yeah, get a full yeah. body tanning, yes, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of weird things. You got to use a cast <laughs> iron pan, right? Uh, there's a lot of these yeah, things, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so at first I was kind of just almost like an advisor for stuff like that. Um, but then I volunteered and was really tweeting about this thing. And I've, I said, okay, yeah, I'll go on podcasts and I'll do this thing. So now it's kind of like advisor, sure. Um, but also more of like the the hype man, right? And which is fun for me. I like doing that. Uh, they give me my ticket for free. They give me my hotel for free. Uh, I'm probably gonna have a drink, couple drinks for free too. So it's like, it's fun for me. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely a definitely a good time. I get to meet cool people like you. Yeah, yeah, I look up to you, you. to you and Nick and your business that you've built. So I like being able to come and talk yeah, with you guys. This yeah, is cool. a benefit. Being too to kind. You were ho- you. I think you hosted at the first one. Some I, I couldn't make it to. It. I was also pissed about that. Uh, some meetup after the evening. Some drinks at some bar or something. I think I don't know if that's a top secret thing you did. No, or no, no. We're gonna do that again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I called it the. Uh, the plate looking after party. <laughs> and in Montreal, you're going to have lots of options. Um, yeah. And the first one I felt like with, uh, I think Tomer kicked it off. I can't remember if he kicked it off or not. I think he did. Um, it was just great to meet everybody there. Ali from Tahini's came by. That's where I first met the bull Bitcoin guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think it was just needed. I think Montreal is going to be a great spot for it as well. Is there anything um, that you guys have released yet about what's going on that we should know about yet? Or all the details on the website already for it uh there, there's a little bit on the, on the website uh i'll tell you guys what i can tell you right so the the big thing i think is that uh it's gonna be at the rialto theater in downtown montreal oh so cool spot it's a very cool yeah. spot so it's uh they just celebrated their 100 year anniversary wow. right so this is like low time preference architecture that you just don't see anymore right it is beautiful in there if you go to the website it's like the rialto.ca or something like that uh, Google it, right? Go to the website. There's, uh, you can see like a virtual tour and just go and look around. Like the main theater room is gorgeous. The ceiling is like crazy. It's just beautiful. It looks like it should be in Europe or something like that. Um, and then there's, you know, a side room for any, uh, breakout sessions. There's, uh, going to be a big lobby where, you know, people can, uh, people, there'll be vendors setting up yeah. and things like that. Cause the vendors were great. I like took a ton mm-hmm. away from just going and talking to all the different vendors there. Like the conversations yeah. in that area were mm-hmm. made the whole thing worth it for me. Not that the yeah. presentations weren't great. Mm-hmm. It was the conversations though, in that vendor area, I thought were fantastic. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of the feedback we got actually was a lot of people really want to just meet other people on the network, right? Cause <laughs> their wives are tired of them talking about it all the time. Right. So they want to meet with other people. So I think we're put going to try and put a little bit more of an emphasis on oh, that this it. time. So there's still going to be great speakers, right? Um, you know, good content and things like that. But we're really going to be making this a giant meetup where people can share ideas. They can meet people, right? They can network. Um, Are you still going to do the breakout rooms or does that work in this facility? Or? Yep. There's going to, there's going to be a breakout okay. room. Uh, one they, room. They were valuable too. Like they those were breakout awesome. sessions because yeah. they appeal to like, there's some other topics that maybe not everybody wants to listen to, but I, I popped into a couple of the breakout rooms and they were great. 
Mm-hmm. The presenters were great. You yeah. had to go up and ask. Sometimes there was like, I, it was like 20 people in some of the breakout room stuff. It was perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, I loved it. Yeah, I, I thought it was great too. Like, uh, like I know Jesse Berger, who was uh, yeah. who was here too. Uh, he did one that was awesome. And it was kind of like why Bitcoin only and why why avoid all these alt altcoins and stuff like that. Um, so it's going to be the same thing, right? One of the most popular uh, breakout sessions uh, was Decentral. And, and basically what they are is, is they're a company, uh, they're a sponsor too, th- thanks to Decentral for sponsoring. Um, but essentially they're doing a session called, called Build Your Own Miner. Right. So that's right. Yeah. That was an add on or something. It's last an add on. So it's going to be the same thing next time, uh, except for we're doing two of the sessions now because it was uh, such high demand last time. But basically you just show up. You don't have to bring anything. They're going to bring all the materials and they're going to take you through step by step uh, to build a Bitcoin miner from scratch. So this means that it's, it's a machine that you can plug into a regular outlet at your house and this thing runs all day long and finds Bitcoin for you. Right. So you're going to turn your hydro bill into the hardest money that's ever been known to mankind. Right. <laughs> so so kind of an extra session. But that's one of the, the breakouts is uh, you're going to go and do that. Right. So it's really, really neat stuff like that. Yeah. For a geek like me, that's I'm tripping out over that stuff. That That's great stuff. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, other things. So just I guess I got a list of stuff that I'll, that I'll mention yeah. about the conference. Yes. Uh, again, this year, our, our headline sponsor is Bull Bitcoin. Um, so great company, Bitcoin only. You're not going to go go there and get offered Doge, right? You mm-hmm. can go there and know that it's, you know, it, they're, they're, they're pure, they're Puritans. Um, great people too. Great people, yeah. right? Uh, the big benefit of having uh, Bull uh, sponsor is that means we also get Francis, who's their CEO, right? He's been a Bitcoiner, I think, since like 2011 or something like that. Uh, when you're done listening to this podcast, go listen to, uh, just put into Spotify, put in Francis. Uh, He's been on this podcast before Has over he? Zoom. Oh, yeah, sweet. And I think I asked three questions and he <laughs> went off yeah. for like an hour. Yeah. I asked him one question that took up like half an hour. Right. And then I got two more questions in and that was it. That was no, the time was I just kept yeah. going. Yeah, he's great. I think he's awesome, yeah. right? And yeah. basically, he like you know he started the Bitcoin Embassy in Montreal, mm. um, started uh, uh, Bills, which is like a service where you can pay your bills using Bitcoin, right? Uh, just a total epic guy, really freedom minded. He lives in Costa Rica now, uh, but he's coming back to Canada for this event specifically, right? So I'm, I'm proud that we could entice him to come back, right? Uh, so that's awesome. Thanks to Bull for sponsoring. Uh, we have My Primer. If you've heard of them, they are. Uh, I think they're a charitable organization, actually. I think we're kind of supporting them throughout this with a portion of ticket sales. Um, But they do Bitcoin education uh, in El Salvador, right? Um, But then also in like tons of other places and different languages and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I think they actually just got a grant from uh, from Block, which is uh, Jack Dorsey's from Twitter. Oh, uh, cool. Uh, like charitable Bitcoin initiative. Um, so they got a grant from there um, just to, you know, spread the good word on Bitcoin, right? So we're supporting them, I, I believe, through ticket sales. Uh, Jolts Rewards, Jolts with a Z. Um, so we partnered up with them. So this is kind of neat. If you go to our site to buy uh, your ticket, you get 5% stats back. So 5% in Bitcoin back. They'll send it right to your wallet for you. Uh, so whatever your, you know, whatever uh, ticket price you're paying, you get 5% off that way. Um, so that's really neat. We did that last year too. Uh, what else did we have? Uh, other sponsors that are I'm allowed to announce so far. Uh, we got QuickBit, uh, and what they they're going to be on site. One of the vendors, um, and they have hardware wallets, right? So they have uh, you know 
uh, ledgers, treasures, uh, cold, cold cards for sale on site, right? So a lot of people don't like ordering this stuff to their house because it's like, okay, now I'm giving some Bitcoin company my address. Now, technically, this Bitcoin company technically knows where I live, right? And people are, you know, really... Uh, Got it. So you can buy it right there off their... Right table. there, right? Yeah, yeah. You don't have to, you don't need to get yeah, your yeah. credit card yep. info or anything like that. So people see some value in that. Uh, and then the other one is coin cards, which is uh, you can spend your Bitcoin on gift cards. Right. So believe it or not, there are people today, a lot more than you might think, who live 100% on Bitcoin. I'm always shocked by that. It's I'm completely shocked. Yeah. I am more and more interested in it just as an experiment for myself. Like, how yeah. far could I get if I tried it? Yeah. Because they're using these gift cards. Gift cards, yeah. So, like, any, they're, they're, they're whatever they do, their guests are getting paid in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Then any spending money they need, they can put on a gift card. They buy through these gift cards. Yeah. And any, I guess if you're using Bull Bitcoin, any bill payments that you need to make, mm -hmm. Bull Bitcoin, you can hook up your utility bills or whatever to Bull Bitcoin and you can pay your bills That's through right. something like Bull Bitcoin. So it, it kind of, it like, it, it actually is possible. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's a, a surprising amount of people who do it as well. Right. And usually it's kind of like a, um, uh, a moral thing to those people. Mm -hmm. Right. They'll say, okay, you know what? The Canadian government, more, more so the U.S. government, but governments can cause a lot of pain and suffering through inflation, but also through war, mm -hmm. right? Because government's paying for war. Um, and by using the dollar, the Canadian dollar, right, um, technically they're inflating, stealing your value, and they're sending that money to Ukraine or to wherever, right? Um, so some people would say, okay, well, I don't want to be play any part in financing war. I'd rather use Bitcoin. So they just basically refuse to touch dollars mm -hmm. and use mm -hmm. Bitcoin instead. So it's... You've got some intense people and in, who are uh, Bitcoin. Oh, de yeah, definitely. <laughs> and it's funny, just you're, you're hearing you say that's making me think of just the world at large, and some of the talks that you uh, that you hear, like Jamie Dimon. If I'm sp if I go back to him again in that other clip today where he shared how there's like no, you know, Bitcoin's this rock and it doesn't do anything. It's such an arrogant way to speak because I just think of my own cousins in a country like Croatia in, you know, the modern time, like right now. They don't really, they joined the Euro a few years ago, but it's not really prevalent there for people to be able to open up some stock account somewhere where they can buy an index fund. Like they don't have access to that. They did not have access to that until even very recently through the Euro. Even now it's kind of not like in the culture there. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So like if you wanted to buy property and property there, when you go outside the capital, the property there, like the, there's like deeds. You have to go to a lawyer and go through deeds. It's not like titles here in Canada. So you actually have to trace back through history, like who owns what. And in a lot of these areas that are not in, you know, the big city or the second biggest city in the, in the country there, people swapped homes. A family like a hundred years ago would say, hey, like, you know, do you want that home? I'll take your home. <laughs> so there's no like this chain of ownership of property. So right. you don't have, you know, so today if, if one of the sons or something wanted to produce some document or daughters that like, hey, this is my family's land, that doesn't really exist. Hmm. So yeah. there's no, yeah. So like you're talking about a Croatia, which is right next to Italy, right in the Mediterranean there off the Adriatic Sea. And it's not like there's accessible property. Whereas in, you know, North America, people will say, well, yeah, you can own property. You can own a stock. You can own a Rolex. You can own a rental property. Well, it's not really common for them to own that stuff. And Bitcoin presents a way to own property, ultimate digital scarcity that they've never had access to before. Mm -hmm. And I th so sometimes when I hear these bankers talk like that, this has no use case, right. it's just so arrogant to me. Like it's mm. beyond arrogant. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, 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 
they're almost just either extremely naive, live in a bubble, or just don't care about the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And then I think um, one of the guys at Davos yesterday said it was un-American. I think it was the Cantor Fitzgerald guy. He he know he was talking about Tether, and then he talked about Bitcoin as like Tether's the opportunity because it'll settle US dollar payments all around the world or whatever he was saying. And that Bitcoin is just like this un-American thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, like what you're saying is un-American. Like how <laughs> is it taking a somebody born in Canada to look at an American thinking that what you're saying is un-American? Right. You're basically right. saying don't have a free market. Right. Don't let the best win. Yeah. Yeah. And there are use cases for this thing. It's just... It's, uh, it's, it's, it's just a wild world right now. And I think that's what really makes me so excited about it is that the opportunity that my family has here exists for my family in another country in Croatia if they want to use it. Mm-hmm. And you better believe I've talked to them about it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Have they taken you up on it? Have they, have they been? I got fine? them to get a blue wallet. I got yeah. I sent them some some Bitcoin and nice. I explained to them what it is. And they grasp it better because they lived through hyperinflation in the 90s. Right. So they lived through, like the the dinar there went through hyperinflation. It was replaced with a new currency. Mm-hmm. So that's in their recent history. Right. Even the younger generation remembers that because mm-hmm. their parents lived through that. Yeah. So it, it's an easier concept for them to understand. I just don't think they're used to having a vehicle to save. So they're kind of looking at it going, is this really what you say it is? Like a digital version of gold? Mm-hmm. Kind of the easiest way to explain it to them. Because yeah. there, it was really just gold that held its value. Either you right. had a farm and if you had animals you managed to protect some of your purchasing power because you really had nothing other than the farm anyway. Right. So when the hyperinflation hits, it doesn't really affect you. You're living off the land. Mm -hmm. Like if you have cows and pigs during hyperinflation and you're living off the land, Mm -hmm. you're not really losing anything because you had so little to lose to begin with. Yeah, you opted out. By not you, really using the currency. Yeah, you right, never yeah. did. You were like, I guess, so poor, some of my family, right. that they were never into any financial products. It was kind of that tiny, tiny little middle class that if they did had some savings, completely wiped out. Mm-hmm. Then if you were connected in the government and had some property in some hotels, maybe through war in the 90s there, you lost it, but then it was kind of handed back to some people. So those assets held their value. Right. So it's just that tiny little bit of people in the middle that if they managed to accumulate something, um, they lost. Actually, I have good friends there and people we bought off the condo that have become really good friends to us. Like he was telling me that in the 90s, he would be paid. He would run to the store because in the morning you would get paid yeah. and by the evening prices would be different. Wow. So you would it right away, right away. Like <laughs> wow. you literally yeah. run to the store. Wow. And yeah. And then the, the shelves would be bare, mm-hmm. you know, and people started doing barter. Yeah. Like it yeah. was like, Hey, if you want first access to this, I need like a pig. Yeah. So if you yeah. have that, I'll give you this. Like it got, got mm-hmm. sketchy there for a little while. So if you had a piece of gold, there's a, there's one family I know that during the war there, the way they escaped, this was in Bosnia, the way they escaped, um, out of Bosnia was the family had a tiny piece of gold that they gave the church. And in exchange for that piece of gold, this church smuggled them out of the country. And if wow. they didn't, yeah. And if they didn't have that piece and they came to Canada, we used to yeah. work together at, at Oracle. Wow. And, uh, if they didn't have that gold, they would have never been able to get out of the country. Wild, eh? That's very wild. Yeah. yeah. And at the church is uh, helping smuggle people. The church was smuggling people up in exchange for gold. Yeah. <laughs> in exchange for gold. But Based. I guess I'm sharing that because when, it, when Bitcoin's doing something at such a more brilliant level, mm-hmm. and then you have a banker going on TV mm-hmm. saying that it's a pet rock. Right. I'm like, it's just such an area. Like if you're not in America and you're hearing that, I, I think even to some Americans, it would be fairly arrogant, mm-hmm. but to not be in America hearing somebody say that, you're just like, you are so arrogant. You yeah. have no clue. 
it put things into context when you kind of know how some how things operate in other countries, right? Because I wouldn't have known that that you know all that about how it's kind of tough to even acquire property. In no one is. I tell like people here, right? yeah, yeah. Crazy. It took us four years to close on the property. I know somebody during the war there on the beach town that we are in, um, they lost, uh, the grandparents passed away. The rest of the family moved to Sweden. They came back looking for their land in that area Mm -hmm. and they were going to multiple lawyers and the locals were all kind of not willing to share information on which plot of land in this little town was theirs. So they kind of all took it, I guess. Yeah, because someone else started growing, apparently, an olive grove on it. Uh, Someone else had built something on this land. And so nobody was kind of interested. And I used to see this Swedish family. Uh, They're from that area, but they moved to Sweden. And they came back multiple years. And they ended up finding a lawyer who was able to go back through these deeds like far enough. And I guess some of them just like get ripped up. It's like this. We're talking like paper deeds. Wow. Yeah. And they were able to get some map with someone to verify it. And they were able to find what their land was it's kind of reminded me of like medieval times when there's like a war and the king like or queen rolls up their artwork puts their gold coins in a bag and escapes right but then the war is over and they're able to like get their land back and they put their pictures back up and they put their gold back right it's like this family had come back and they had like managed to reclaim their land but that's a very you talked about friction with real estate Mm -hmm. talk about the friction that's a lot of friction but they managed to do it how many people were not able to Right. You know, yeah. so you had property that was, I guess, deeded to you. Yeah. You had the rights to that property, but mm-hmm. really did you have like how secure mm-hmm. were your property rights? Right. right. Um, and so when we talk about it, and I think to, sometimes to no end, I talk about it, that the property rights of Bitcoin are so secure. I just love it. It's just like this beautiful breakthrough mm-hmm. and it's a global thing, decentralized thing, permissionless thing. It's just something that really gives, I just like the fact that I have cousins in another part of the world that have the exact same opportunity as someone born here, mm-hmm. which didn't exist before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause here it's different with as far as real estate or other property, because the way so we can rely on the government just to the property rates here are pretty yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Like we can kind of see that. Okay. Um, you own this house, right? And even if you leave for a couple of years, it's pretty rare. I don't think there's many situations where all of a sudden it's not your house anymore. Yeah. Right? Um, a lot of you know Bitcoiners will will argue that that's one of the reasons why Bitcoin is superior to sure. real estate is because you do have to depend on the government for those property rights. You need that judicial system. Mm-hmm. And without it, you can't really prove ownership. You almost need someone to like authenticate your ownership. Right, right. So it means if they're enforcing it for you, it's like they can technically also take it away from you, right? So I think a lot of Bitcoiners will think, okay, the government's getting more and more desperate, right? And eventually it'll get to the point where they're just confiscating property, right? If, if, if they need to, right? So whether or not that's going to happen, I, I don't know, but that's uh, definitely one potential scenario. Mm-hmm. It's it, This is going, and we can we'll wrap here in a second. I want to honor your time plate, but uh, I like calling you plate. Um, it goes to, to me, to Jeff Booth's point that I think it will happen because as the existing system requires more and more from itself, it has to get more authoritarianism in place, uh, more author- authoritarian, more author- authoritarian, I can't speak, um, because it needs to extract more and more for its own survival. So we're on a path, I think, that is going to have a government that gets 
hungrier and hungrier for taxes, income, property, all of them, carbon, all of these different taxes, because it needs to feed itself and sustain itself. And the bigger it gets, the more it needs. So it's, it's a valid thing. And I don't think that's happening tomorrow, but I think we're in that process right now. And if you're not willing to accept it, I think you're going to the, the wrath of that is going to hit you hard 10 years from now. But if you mm-hmm. plan now mm-hmm. and protect yourself now by buying some assets that can protect you from that kind of behavior, I think you can kind of outpace it and outrun it and you know live a kind of happy life and doesn't have to bother you too much, right? But I mm-hmm. think that is an unfortunate truth that the system in and of itself is producing this. And I think it gets a little bit crazier from here. I think so. I think so. Yeah. And it'll come, it'll come in waves, right? Things, you know, sure. uh, uh, sometimes we'll have a different government in place that might slow these things down. I, I'm, I'm hoping right. our next federal government here, I don't really, you know, Paul, I don't have any hope in politicians really, mm-hmm. but I got to think the next one can't be as bad as the current one. So maybe it slows mm-hmm. things down. I, I that's agree. all I asked for. Slow yeah. it down a little bit. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Well, I, you know what? That's part of why, but that goes against the whole accelerate. The, 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 no? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we can get into that if you want, but no, <laughs> what I was going to say is, uh, is, uh, that that's one of the things that really depressed me at one point when I went, when I realized, okay, no matter what government gets in power next, they can't reverse any of this. They can only slow it down, right? Because you can't go, okay, let's take away some of these programs because then you're, you're evil, right? You're <laughs> Satan. If you take away anybody's, you know, precious program or something like that, even if you are acknowledging that we need that to even just keep the country running, right? So it doesn't all blow up one day or hyperinflate one day. So I just kind of realized that eventually we're always drifting towards, you know, more authoritarianism. authoritarianism. It's a hard one. Uh, because it's, politicians can't go the other way. Just public perception of going the other way is too frowned upon, right? It looks terrible. Um, so that's part of what makes me love Bitcoin so much because it's a way out of that. It's, it's one way that that whole system of accelerate mm-hmm. and slow it down for four years and then accelerate yeah. and then, and then slow it down. Um, Bitcoin is a way out of that, that loop. I think mm-hmm. you're starving the beast. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, anything else you wanted to share before we begin to wrap up here? Anything else on your mind that you wanted to talk about? You know, I think we covered everything that was, uh, that I really wanted to talk about. I can give all like, uh, you know, how to get tickets yeah, for the conference absolutely. Yes. like that. Yeah. Um, so basically it's just uh, Canadian Bitcoin Conf, C-O-N-F, so just like short form for conference, uh, .com, CanadianBitcoinConf.com. Um, so you can go there for tickets. Uh, if you listen to the end of this pod, you get the, uh, the, the plate discount code. So it's just all caps, plate 2024, right? And that's, so that's going to give you a discount on your ticket price. Combine that with the Jolts rewards, which is 5% Bitcoin back. That means you got 10% off your, uh, your ticket price. Um, if you want updates, you can check the website or you can follow us on Twitter, which is CDN Bitcoin Conf. So at CDN Bitcoin Conf, right? Uh, or you can follow me uh, and that is plate liquor underscore 21M. And that's 21M because there's a hard cap on Bitcoin of 21 million coins that will never be increased. We uh, didn't share the story of plate licking pleb. We got it. We got to do it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, one of my favorite things about Bitcoin is it is a grassroots movement, right? Uh, 
anyone can use Bitcoin, right? And it's usually people who are a little bit upset about the about the <laughs> elites and about the people who are already, you know, rich in this system, right? So it tends to be young people, right? Or poor people who kind of latch onto Bitcoin and, and build it that way. Um, because of that, Bitcoiners lovingly call themselves and each other plebs. And what a pleb is, is it's short for plebeian, right? Which would be considered uh, like the lower, poorer class back in like ancient Roman times. Okay, so we're basically saying, yeah, we're poor, right? But we're still coming for you and we're still going to change the system to uh, something better, right? Um, when you Google the, the term pleb and you check on Wikipedia, the example it gives, it says uh, an example of a plebeian act would be licking your plate when you're done a meal. So I latched onto that because I do that and I have for my whole life. <laughs> and actually a VP of my company walked into the lunchroom with me doing it one time and it's like, oh, got caught there. <laughs> so so uh, I thought that was a great name for me. So I, I latched onto it. People can remember it. Uh, so I like it. And you like saying it too, Plate. I just love it. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, great. I, I toyed around. I think I'm going to write a, a, a Bitcoin book one day, but I'll publish it as uh, Plate L pleb. Yeah, perfect. You have to. <laughs> perfect. You got to do it. Yeah. And you're pretty active. For anyone listening, you got to follow Plate on Twitter. We'll link to it in the show notes here because um, you're pretty active on Twitter. You're sharing fun stuff and you, I don't know, you have fun on Twitter. It's like, you know, yeah. Twitter's like a wild, it's like a gauntlet of just like post something and just see if you survive through the feedback that comes back to you on Twitter. It's like just running into the Coliseum or something when you post something on Twitter. It's like, good luck to you. You know? fun place it's a wild place <laughs> but uh and then the dates for the uh, conference again what were they it's may 16th to 18th so it's a it's a thursday friday saturday was it three days before uh 16th. no it was no? Two, only two days before. oh wow okay yeah Okay, May 16th, 17th, and 18th in Montreal, Canadian Bitcoin Conf, C O N F at the end.com, Canadian Bitcoin Conf.com. Awesome plate. Thanks for doing this, man. You're welcome back anytime. We got to chat. Awesome. We got to chat more. I really awesome. appreciate this, man. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thanks thank, for having me. Thank you. Hey everyone, hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Plate Licking Pleb. Um, the URL for the Canadian Bitcoin Conference is Canadian Bitcoin Conf. Dot com. You can also uh, find them on Twitter at Canadian Bitcoin Conf. It's CDN Bitcoin C-O-N-F. So CDN Bitcoin C-O-N-F. The discount code, if you're going to buy a ticket, is Plate2024. And you can find the Plate Licking Pleb on Twitter at PlateLicker21M. That's PlateLicker21M. That is it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms. <laughs>